Today's reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 54. While he was saying this, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and and see something greater than Solomon is here. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if it is not healthy, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, consider whether the light in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, with no part of it in darkness, it will be as full of light as when a lamp gives you light with its rays. While he was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him. So he went in and took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So give for alms those things that are within, and see, everything will be clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds, and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without realizing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And he said, Woe also to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your ancestors, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be charged with the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. 
from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be charged against this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. When he went outside, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile towards him and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. I just stay, just stay stood for a moment. I, just, I have a sense, I think we all have a sense, that God has been at work and God is here and God is with us and has been in the worship. Uh, this passage is not much fun, uh, but it's what God wants to talk to us about today. And I just feel as though God would say, I love your worship, but now will you listen to me? I've got something to say to you. And I want to pray for all of us that we hear. And if, you're, if, if you mean all that stuff you've just been singing, which I think you do, then join with me in saying, okay, God, speak, because your servants are listening. So, Lord, we say, speak. Yes. Your servants are listening. Lord, we, we don't like this passage very much. But, Lord, we know that it's often those passages that you use most powerfully. Yes. And we'll listen to whatever you have to say. Yes. And, Lord, I pray for my words. Lord, everything that's not of you, that's dross, would it just fall away? Would I forget it? But, Lord, when it comes from you, would it hit home with power? And with the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, do grab a seat. Well, when I was um, beginning to pray and read and think and prepare for what I was going to say this morning, and I, I cracked open the Bible and I read this passage. Uh, what was sort of on my mind before I started reading was all the kind of mess and division and problems in the Church of England that uh, James mentioned back at the start of the service. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, lucky you. It's all good. Uh, you don't need to um, for, for what I'm going to say. But it got me thinking about disagreement. And it, it got me thinking about one of the things that our bishops often talk about when it comes to all the disagreements in the Church of England, which is the importance of disagreeing well. It's a sort of phrase that the archbishop is always going on about. And, and, and it, it means uh, talking to one another despite all of our differences and disagreements uh, with kindness and politeness and graciousness and love and all that kind of stuff. And, and generally something I, I'm really keen on. I'm, I mean, I'm British. I like to be polite. Um, and, and I've always thought that that's, well, that is important. But, but then I read this passage and I thought, oh, because one thing this is not is good disagreement. In fact, it is about as far from good disagreement as it is possible to get. And let's be honest, it's about as far from well, what we teach our children uh, about how we disagree with people as we can get. And it is profoundly and deeply unsettling. This is a hard passage and if you are not a little uncomfortable and challenged at this point, it's because you weren't listening as it was being read out. I was talking to somebody uh, last week about what I was going to be preaching on and the passage for, for this Sunday. And I summed it up as Jesus basically being rude to everyone. 
And that is basically what it is. I mean, we get the familiar characters, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes. We don't really notice Jesus having a clash with them because we're so used to it, but he is rude to them. But, but it's, a, it's a wider angled lens than that. We also get him uh, sort of having a go at the entire crowd, you evil generation. I mean, how would you feel if James had started this morning with that? You know, maybe you're new or a visitor. And you came in, and rather than standing up and him saying, welcome, thank you for coming to church, it's great to have you. Evil bunch! <laughs> I mean, if that had been what he said the first time you turned up at this church, would you still be here if this isn't the first time you came to this church? It's not very nice. And he's even rude about, or seemingly quite dismissive, maybe not rude, but pretty dismissive of his own mum. He doesn't condemn her, yes, he doesn't judge her, but when somebody else says, blessed is the womb that bore you, blessed are the breasts that nursed you, rather than saying, yes, my mum is awesome, he goes, no, no, blessed rather are the people who hear God's word and obey. And and actually, it's worse than that, because he's not just rude, but he is seriously offensive. I mean, the stuff he says here is full-on hit you between the eyes. You know, the, the Pharisees, they, they are the people who, I mean, we miss this because we're so used to Jesus being rude about them. Well, not rude about them, but critical of them. But, but these are the people who everyone else looked up to. These were the people who were passionate about Jesus. Oh, sorry. These are the people, rewind, these are the people who are passionate about God. These are the people who are passionate about Scripture. These are the people who were always praying. These were the people who were holy, whose lives looked like everyone else wanted to be. And Jesus comes along and he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. You are like unmarked graves. I mean, even today, that sounds pretty full on. But it would be difficult to say anything more offensive to an observant Jew of the first century. Because they believed that if you came into contact with a dead body, if you walked across a grave, you were unclean. And that set your, your relationship with God out of sync and you were sort of sundered from him. And an unmarked grave was something they were afraid of. In fact, actually, they used to whitewash the graves every year to make sure that you didn't miss them because if you walked across an unmarked grave, it would set you out of sync with God without you even knowing it. It was like a trap that cut you off in your relationship from him. It is the antithesis of everything the Pharisees were about. And Jesus says, well, you're like that. But if there was one thing that you could say that would be more offensive to the, the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, scribes, lawyers, um, they're all the, the same, different ways of talking about the same people, it would be to say, you're like the people who murdered the prophets, which is what he does say to the teachers of the law. He says, all those prophets that you revere and you build tombs for, and you say, oh, they're my heroes, well, you're like the people who killed them. And, and just in case we're thinking, well, okay, these, we, we don't like the scribes and, 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 and the Pharisees, well, well, then we zoom out and we get what he says to the whole crowd. And he doesn't just say, you're an evil bunch, but he, well, he says, you're worse than a pagan queen who didn't even know God, but she came, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, she came to hear um, the, the preaching of Solomon. In fact, you're worse than the people of Nineveh in the time of Jonah. Now, the people of Nineveh, well, Nineveh was the capital city, or one of the capital cities of the Assyrian Empire, which was one of the empires in the world that was most anti-God. They're the people who conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. Not only that, but they were sort of synonymous with wickedness and violence. 
They were a horrible people. Think Hitler. That's the sort of level that we're talking about. And Jesus looks at all of you lot and says, yeah, you're like them. In fact, you're worse. I mean, and, and then his mum. I, I, I mean, again, he doesn't condemn her. And I think that is significant because she's the one person here that, that sort of comes out with some, some grace. But wow, what is Jesus saying? And, and, and it gets worse. Because we're used to Jesus having clashes with the scribes and the Pharisees and the crowds, but it usually, well, they're the ones that pick the fight. You know, the Pharisees get cross with them and they say, well, what about this and what about this? And Jesus kind of stands up and has the discussion. But here, Jesus started it. I mean, the story of the Pharisee, you might miss this, but it starts with the poor man asking Jesus to dinner. I mean, he probably thought, I was trying to be nice. I was trying to be sort of open-minded and then hear what he said to say and, and then you, you turn in. And uh, he, he, he doesn't wash, which isn't just kind of a little bit impolite like it would be here, but it, it, it'd be a li- little bit like um, kind of rejecting kind of the religious rituals because washing before meals in a sort of first century Jewish context was, was a sign of putting yourself right before God and being washed and clean and pure spiritually. I suppose the closest thing we might say would be a bit like saying grace these days. And Jesus just doesn't do it. And he, and, and he knows what he's doing. He knows they're going to notice. And, and, and they, they do notice. It says he's amazed or surprised. But, but still, the reaction is fairly muted. But Jesus then uses it to kind of really, really go at the Pharisees. And, and, and then the, the, sort of the, the teacher of the law is like, oh, you, you do realize that, well, it's a bit insulting to us as well. And I don't know about you, but um, if I was in the, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, 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 I've got a bit of a beef with the Pharisees, but sorry, I, I didn't mean to have a go at you too. But Jesus' response is, yeah, and woe to you too. And as for the crowds, well, these are the guys who turned up. They, they are like you. <laughs> They're the ones who came to church. They're the ones who wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, and Jesus denounces them as an evil bunch. And, and you're... Well, frankly, I'm left reading. I mean, why? I think that is the key question in this passage. It's one of the reasons I'm so pleased, actually, that that James has given us such a big passage. It seems really, really long, but it is one sort of continuous story. And Jesus seems to be deliberately trying to cause offense to everyone. Why? Why? And alongside that, I think there's a question, which is who? Because the temptation is that we sort of zoom in and we say, oh, okay, well, Jesus is having a go at the Pharisees, so they're a bit legalistic, and they rejected Jesus. I'm not legalistic, and I love Jesus. Boom. Gold star for me. So I'm part of the little group over here who are wearing a gold star and who Jesus is pointing to and saying, you lot are rubbish, but he, uh, they're wonderful. Here are the good guys except that that group doesn't exist. Jesus is having a go at everyone, which means that we also need to pull back from doing the other thing that is the temptation, which is let's try and identify the sorts of people who are like this today. And I'm feeling a little bit grumpy with the bishops of the Church of England, so I know I'll have a go at them, and I'll explain all the ways why I'm disappointed in the way that they're doing things. And, um, you know, woe to the bishops. And I think if Jesus was here, he, he, he would say woe to the bishops, but n- not for the reasons that I would. 
because who is Jesus saying woe to? If, if Jesus was standing here, who would be sort of in, in, in his sights? And the answer is you, me. Uh, and he is deliberately stirring up offense involving everyone. I mean, otherwise, well, why does he say this about his mum? I mean, his mum was wonderful. His mum was someone who was blessed. Just read the Magnificat, rewind to, to chapter one. We know he loved her. We know he revered her. But he is willing to cause offence even to her because he is trying to make a point about what? What's the positive thread that runs through this passage? And the answer is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, blessed is your mother. No, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What does that actually look like? Well, now I'm going to tell the crowds. And, and he tells the crowds, it's all about your response to me. The queen of the south will rise up against this generation because she came thousands of miles to see Solomon, and one greater than Solomon is here. The, the people of Nineveh will rise up because they repented when Jonah spoke, and one greater than Jonah is here. Me, he's saying, Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is God. He is everything, and all that matters, he is saying to them, is what is your response to me? And that then kind of uh, flows into this quite confusing little parable that he tells about the eye being the lamp of the body. I, I say confusing because if you read it on its own, I think it is. But if you read it realizing that it's flowing out of and illustrating what he's just said about the Queen of the South and, and the Ninevites and so on and so forth, it becomes clear that he's talking about the eye as the lamp of the body in the sense of what we see, what we understand, our spiritual perception. And if with your eye you see and you perceive Jesus and you see everything that he is, and you realize that, then that is the lamp that will flood the rest of your body, the rest of your life, everything else with light. And he, he then kind of expands on that in this sort of clash with the Pharisees because he says, not like the Pharisees. And the, the Pharisees are the archetypal group of people who are trying to live outwardly good lives. They're trying to do everything right, but it's all about what, what the world sees. It's all about the kind of outward observances and practices of stuff. And Jesus is saying, no, what matters is what is in your heart. If your lamp and your light is dark, the rest of it's rotten. It doesn't matter what else you do. And as for the lawyers, well, let's have a go at them by, by coming at it at a different angle. It's all about Jesus. It's all about your relationship with God. And because they've made it legalistic, because they've made it about the rules and the regulations, what they've actually done is they have loaded a burden onto all of us, and then they've taken away the key because they're stopping everyone from coming to Jesus and receiving life. So positively, it's all about Jesus. But... Why does he have to be so rude? I mean, because I could have preached you that little sermon uh, in ways that the crowds and the Pharisees would probably be quite, quite, quite content to hear. You know, I, I might have said, you lucky generation. 
You know, the Queen of the South came all this way to hear Solomon, and the Ninevites repented at Jonah, and you get Jesus. Lucky lot. And that would, you know, maybe get them on my side. I might say to the Pharisees, isn't it great that you've tried to build your life on the Scriptures? Isn't it great that you, you try and pray and that you do all this outward stuff, but, but what's inside is even more important than what's inside is how you respond to me? But Jesus doesn't say that. He, he says it in a way that is insulting and offensive and rude and, and clearly deliberately so. And so we have to ask again, Why? And so my second point may sound suspiciously like my first point. And it is, it is all about Jesus. And this is the point where I think it bites for us. Because I, I suspect there's not many people, possibly no one in this room, who hasn't said yes to Jesus. But did you realize it's all about Jesus? Jesus is willing to insult. Jesus is willing to provoke. Jesus is willing to act in a way that is going to get him killed. That's really where this passage finishes, when we read the Pharisees began to be very hostile towards him and to cross-examine him about any, many things. We know where this is going. This is going to the cross. He's willing not just to risk that because he knows it's going there. He's willing to go there so that, that you and I hear it right. He, he's willing to sort of tread on all propriety, do everything short of actually sinning, so that we realize that actually nothing else matters next to Jesus. Nothing you see, because that's not really how most of us think. I mean, we, we, we say we're all in for Jesus, but we're normally mainly in for Jesus. And, until, well, until those other things suddenly challenge us. I want to use an illustration from my own uh, sort of relatively recent experience. Many of you know um, um, I'm a vicar, um, not leading a church now, running a charity, that's another thing. But, but I used to be vicar of a church in central London, and we were at the National Musicians Church. And as part of that, for a few years, we'd done a kind of program of hiring for sort of concerts and rehearsals. And uh, one day in a prayer meeting, um, I really felt God say, stop the hiring. And so we stopped the hiring. And all hell broke loose. And uh, 9,000 people signed a petition. I had letters from MPs and former cabinet ministers. Um, there were sort of city charities that funded the Diocese of London and threatened to withdraw literally hundreds of thousands of pounds of funding. I had pressure put on me uh, from those above me, sort of bishops and, and, and others. Uh, and uh, there was a moment when it looked like I might have to resign my job. And it was all pretty full on. And, and it was all really, really difficult. But I realized one of the things that I found hardest about the whole thing was that people didn't like me. I mean, one lady wrote me a letter saying, I really do hope you go to hell, which I thought was uncalled for, really. And it really shook me. But one of the things that then shook me was the realization that it shouldn't have shaken me. The, the realization that, that Jesus said, they'll hate you, they hated me first. 
that, that, that actually, when, when we look at the Bible, Jesus divided people. Not just Jesus. I, uh, funny enough, I was, I was on retreat um, for a few days in the middle of it all. And, and I was reading through um, uh, Paul's sort of evangelism in Acts for a sermon series that I was going to do the following uh, term. And I realized something about, about Paul's missionary journeys. Everywhere he goes, two things happen. The first is that lots of people become Christians. And the, the second is that everyone else tries to kill him. And there's never anybody in the middle. There's never anybody who says, oh, he's such a nice man, that Paul. But I realized I'd spent half my ministry going for that, he's such a nice man, that David. And I realized that people had been sort of encouraging and kind and polite about me because they'd, they, they liked me. Uh, but because I was inoffensive, because I, I knew how to behave when I went to a city dinner, but because I was a bit younger than some of the other vicars, all, all, all other things, and I was going for trying to be nice, polite, and inoffensive. When we were preaching, uh, sort of praying earlier on today, um, somebody had, had a, a sort of word about, about Halloween, um, and uh, they, they were saying one of the things about evil is that the road to hell never tells you where the destination is. And, and so many of the, the nice, polite other stuff in life is actually leading us in that direction. It, it is all about Jesus and, and, and nothing else. Everything else that's good flows from our relationship with Jesus. That's the, the point of the, the story of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If you see the light of Jesus, if that comes in through your eyes, it sheds its light into everything else. And if it's not there, everything else is dark. And what does that mean? Well, for me, it meant being willing to be hated by a large group of people in my old church because I was following where I felt God was leading us. It meant realizing that I might be torpedoing my career. Um, you know, the, the bishop's hat is probably not in my future. It, it meant people being against me. It, it may mean not being popular and successful and rich and good in your career. All those sorts of things. Because when we stand for Jesus, we have to remember that Jesus is all. And how much in our lives do we put other things up there with him? What, what does it look like for you? Maybe, like for me, it's something to do with your career and your work. How, how many of us have, have toned down the sort of the fullness of our Jesus love at, because we think that people at work will be offended by it? Or it might harm our prospects? Or we know that there's elements of the Christian faith that they don't like and and we, we, surely we shouldn't be trying to convert people at work or whatever else it might be. And so we just water it down a little bit. I think Jesus would say, woe to you if that is you. Or maybe it's in our family context. And uh, we, we, we don't want to sort of say something that's going to upset or offend a, a friend or a loved one or, or somebody uh, sort of even closer, someone in our family. And, and so we think, well, I'll... I'll just water it down a little bit. Hopefully my, my life will, my actions will, will show forth the love of Jesus, but I, I won't ever actually speak of him. I, I was thinking as Lily was, was leading us in worship, and she said, 
just be, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, be, be abandoned. Don't worry what you look like. Don't, don't worry how it comes across to everyone else. And I thought to myself, yes, that's great in here, but what about out there? Some of you may have found it hard even in here. But some of you may have been worshipping God with reckless abandon, giving it your all on a Sunday morning here at Ashington. But will you do the same thing out there on a Monday morning? Will you do the same thing when others look in and go, rather than, oh, she's really giving it some in the worship. What a loser. Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm offended by that. Because that, is the challenge, the insult, the offense of this passage. And, and so I, I want to say to, to you guys, on one level, you, you, you are the, the kind of the gold star people because you have said yes to Jesus. But I think all of us need to hear and receive that punch in the guts of, of Jesus showing us that we need to put him above everything else in everything else. And if you find what he says in this passage uncomfortable, even offensive, that's mean, that means you've heard it and you've understood it. And I suppose the question that I want to leave you hanging with is, what are you going to do about it? Amen. And I, I want to leave that I'm going to lead us a little bit more in, in, in some... I'm just, I'm just sort of stopping. I, have we got time for a song? I wonder... I was, I was going to have a time of silence, and um, I'm, I'm a dad, and a time of silence with small children is always painful. And if we have a time of worship, then, then the children can make as much noise as they like. Um, and, but as we're worshipping, you, you don't necessarily need to join in. Sorry, Libby. But I want you to be asking yourself that question. Um, what am I going to do about it? What does this look like for me? Am I really all in for Jesus or just partly for Jesus? And, and then I'd like to ask you all to respond. And sometimes when we preach sermons, we, sort of, uh, we do a kind of altar call for the people who, who want to respond to the main guts of the sermon. I... I, I kind of hope that's all of you today, because the, the point is, are you all for Jesus? And I hope the answer is yes. And if it is, isn't it wonderful that we have communion? Uh, because communion is all about receiving what Jesus has given us and saying yes to him. And, well, he has given us everything. He is the pearl beyond price. All that joy and celebration that you were engaging in just a few moments ago, all of it is warranted. Jesus is not just everything. He's more than you could possibly imagine. He's beyond your wildest dreams. Winning the lottery is nothing less, uh, nothing compared to Jesus. He is wow. And so come to Jesus in communion. Come to Jesus in worship and say, yes, please. I'm all in.